both Gus and I had the pleasure of competing in intercollegiate athletics. What that did for us besides build character, teach us work ethic, it taught us that the journey is the most important thing. And that when you get to the actual moment, you just sit back, you enjoy, and you bring your best. Well, we have arrived, my friend, at the game of the year. St. Mary's at home, the last team to possibly derail the number one undefeated Gonzaga Bulldogs. Pump the music at Alpha Undefeated Pie, people. Pump it hard. Pump it high. Don't let anybody else in the frat house. Good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon, listeners. Thank you for your personal method of consumption of the Screen the Screener podcast. We are creating this college basketball listening experience on the evening of Friday. That's right. We're giving you a Friday shout. February 10th. 2017 we hope to aid in your commute to and fro we hate we hope to aid in your travels while you're grabbing that valentine's day gift for your loved ones or maybe you want to plug us in while you wait on that comet sighting no 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 folks we're not talking about our favorite comet sighting ucla we're talking about an actual comet green comet 45p it'll be flying through the sky this weekend so please you know post up your telescopes We're so thankful, we're very humbled, and honestly honored to chat NCAA hoops with you, Mike, and our ever-expanding audience. So you know what we're going to say? We're going to say ahoy out there, Rusty Sox, at Rusty Sox 45. Go Catamounts, 12-0, baby. And ahoy out there, at T. Lemieux. Space Cam is awesome to watch, too. Welcome, y'all. Let's get this thing rolling. Let's get it rolling is right. We are so excited tomorrow. The games, Gus, have intensified. The rivalry, the conference games, the games I feel like are getting closer. Last second shots tonight. We'll talk about a great one between Rhode Island and Dayton. Things have really been amped up. We're in the final stretch of conference season. We're talking about seedings, and we're also talking about seedings not only for the conference tournament, but for March Madness. And Gus, tomorrow, it seems like, is another huge day besides St. Mary's Gonzaga. It's also the NCAA has decided to reveal at this very moment, if the tournament was seeded now, who their top 16 seeds would be. So Mike and I are going to give you what we think our top, top 16 seeds are. And obviously it's not going to match up perfectly, but we wanted to give you guys some thinking points and some talking points. And pay attention to this because this is a cool little thing. They're trying to copy like the college football uh, top four show that they would release on Tuesdays. I like the idea. I support the uh, I support like the movement behind it, but I also am, am going to enjoy the movement because if we pay close attention to this at this particular point in the season last year, Iowa from the Big Ten was garnering maybe a one seed or a two seed after their huge run in the Big uh, in the Big Ten uh, conference uh, season, but then they went on this enormous slide. So it would have been cool to like check out and view and kind of like watch their careening out of control down to like an eight seed. Uh, so I think. Watching week to week will be interesting to see if any teams make a big jump 
or have that like volatile fall like Iowa did last year. Yeah, and for all you people out there, if you're listening to this podcast, I know you agree with us. There's a lot of people criticizing this, saying this is really a silly idea. No, it's not a silly idea. It's fantastic. You're listening to this podcast because you love hardcore college basketball analysis, and that means you must be a huge college basketball fan too. We know you're out there. It's a half-hour show. They throw the 16 seeds out. We get to see who would be, who's the loaded bracket, who's the easy bracket, who's the upset. It's fantastic. It's 30 minutes. I can't wait for this. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But right now, as our usual, we're going to do our news and notes. News and notes from the hardwood. Another thing, and and I've revealed a lot of information about my wife and I dating, which I'm sure bores the heck out of the entire public here, Gus. No, no, no. It's interesting. Keep it rolling. I like it. I like it. Do it one more time. So I told everybody about our first date and how J.J. Reddick was on the screen. And my wife said, oh, leave the Zook game on. Let's watch it. And I said, that's it. We're getting married. But the other part is that we always had a tradition, and the tradition is that we watch Duke-UNC together. We've done that since the first year we met in 2005. It's exciting. It's fun. It's just always a great game. She's into it, or at least fakes interest in being into it. It's fantastic. So UNC-Duke-Gus, why don't you take us through it? A classic rivalry and a classic game as well. I hope you're comfy on the couch with the missus. That sounds very appealing and I, very nice. I get so excited. I'm, I'm standing, which really just kills any, any sort of <laughs> I'm standing the whole so time. She's actually she's on the couch next to your wife. No, she's on the couch and I'm jumping around. That's, that's what happens. Go ahead. <laughs> very good. Excellent. Uh, uh, that's a, an amazing visual for the listeners out there. All right. So this is still like the top rivalry in our game. How about we throw in like the mixer and we'll see what comes out. How about uh, Cincy Xavier? How about Michigan, Michigan State? Maybe UCLA, USC. How about Georgetown, UConn? Long lost, unfortunately. And then we can go, uh, how about Syracuse, Georgetown? Maybe Kansas, Kansas State? Throw in the bad blood with BYU and Utah? Uh, Indiana, Purdue? And of course, we got to throw in Louisville, Kentucky, right? The rivalry has such a rich history all of this, which I'm sure you saw in pregame, so we'll skip that and focus on what's at stake this season for these teams. And last night was another classic, as always. Yeah, that's right, Gus. And the news broke right before the game that senior power forward Isaiah Hicks would miss the game with a strained left hamstring. It was a huge loss for UNC, and quite frankly, that could have been the difference in the game. I thought that before, and I thought that especially watching it. They started Luke May, right, started in his place. He performed admirably at eight points, but Hicks' presence against that undersized Duke team was sorely missed. He's their third-leading scorer at 12.8 points per game, second-leading rebounder at 5.6, and a severely underrated Gus, 80.2% from the free-throw line. Uh, UNC started hot early. You know, they're a veteran team. They've been here before. They've been in these matchups. They're not going to get, you know— thrown off their game by the Cameron Crazies. But Duke kept responding. UNC couldn't pull away the entire time. Duke started Allen, Kennard, Matt Jones, Tatum, and Jefferson. And it seemed like that was sort of a really good lineup for them because roles were defined. Um, Grayson Allen had a fantastic game. 25 points, 7 of 12 from three-point range before fouling out, which was critical. And that's very rare for him. He usually doesn't foul out. Right. Kennard had 20 points himself. Jason Tatum, I think, should be called the Amoeba. We talked about the Matrix last time. Let's call Jason Tatum the Amoeba because he morphs into whatever Duke needs. He's going to be a tremendous player in the NBA because he's going to be whatever you need me to do. He can score it. He can rebound. He can assist. He even brings the ball up the floor once in a while. He had 19 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, and he's only a freshman, of course. 
Uh, Frank Jackson did a great job, I thought. He came in in a late game there and did a nice job off the bench when Grayson Allen fouled out, and he had 11 points himself. Uh, Duke Gus looked like Duke finally, really, for the very first time. You know what? I think we, when we talked about their lineups and possible lineup uh, configurations last podcast, I think they hit gold a little bit with one of those lineups. But speaking of gold, I think this win might be a little bit of fool's gold here for the Blue Devils. Here are the reasons I have behind that. I'm not sure if 48% from three-point land is sustainable for Duke over six games in March. Sure, they shot it true against UNC, and it was really impressive, Grayson Allen leading the charge. But no one, except maybe our guy, Giddy Potts, shoots it that well, that deep, for that long of a stretch of time. Joel Berry II did not have his usual strong game against ranked opponents. He only had 15 points. Put your money on that changing in Chapel Hill, for sure. With no Bradley, I mean, with no Hicks, he's got to be worth what you... You mentioned he averages 12 points, right? And what was the final score of the game? Exactly. That's worth at least 10 points, right? No doubt. Now, Bradley and May did a serviceable serviceable job. They both had eight points each, but Hicks is one of UNC's pivots. They toss those toss-ins on their delayed break when they toss it to the big guy after they rush down the court. It just did not find the same soft hands that Hicks has. That's for sure. UNC was 55% from the line, which is really out of characteristic for them. Uh, and so all of these little ingredients added up to a Duke win at home when the Cameron Crazies were really eager for a win. And it was a close win at that. So let's pump the brakes a little bit on Duke, people. You know what? Let's celebrate one thing about them, though. You mentioned it, Jason Tatum. Man alive. That kid is amazing. He is the perfect combination. You ready for the perfect combination? Here's my little Jason Tatum mixture. I love these. I love when you do this. Go ahead. How about Paul George and Gordon Hayward mixed together? That's a perfect one. It really is. Just you watch him. That's a great one. George's body type, long, silky, smooth, with Hayward's game, crafty, efficient, on point. It's a nice sandwich. He is going to be worth watching the rest of the season. And you know what else got my attention while he was going off in the second half and scoring every single one of his points in the second half? Do you think he very well could be a player like Russ Smith, Jared Jeffries from Indiana, Jared Jack from Georgia Tech, that could carry a team to the title game with very little help? But at Duke, he's going to have a ton of help. He was that type of good in the second half of this game. I guess it was a good thing that they kept Tatum on that Dr. J award list, huh? Yeah, it's it's so true. You know, Jared Jeffries, I love that one also. Remember, you got to think of those guys when they were freshmen, right? Like mm-hmm. what this kid is doing on this team, he is very unsung. This kid's on another team. He's the go-to guy. He's in league score. He's easily 20 points a game. He is vital. Giles and Bolden, not ready for prime time. They are not ready to make major contributions this year. If you get 10 points from Giles, I think that's tremendous. So they have huge, no – Huge they have, bonus. They got no bench, zero bench. You got to be led by Kennard, led by Allen. Jefferson's the glue guy. I'm fine with that. Matt Jones, same thing. But Tatum's got to perform for them to have a shot, and he played great in this game. Really well done. I love that comparison. 
he was a little insane in the second half. So that's really what stood out. But I think a little bit of fool's gold because there were too many anomalies that aren't sustainable for Duke um, and also aren't sustainable for UNC. Uh, Joel Berry's down game, uh, the poor free throw shooting from the line. I think when this game switches venues, I think it also switches uh, outcome as well. And that doubleheader on ESPN, how good was that, huh? Oh, so good. It was incredible. <laughs> and and listeners out there, the, that doubleheader is the reason why Mike and Dr. Tony and I decided to go ahead and you know just put the podcast off a day because we wanted to totally immerse ourselves in these two games and then go ahead and give you guys our, our thoughts on it, but also just enjoy them as fans and as listeners uh, and as viewers as well. You know, we we have we were a little selfish with our time. We were. We're, we're, being, we're being selfish. We'll make up for it, people. You know us. We'll make up for it as we get to March. We may have one podcast that never goes off the air for four <laughs> consecutive weeks. So we'll make up for it. But yes, we're being selfish. So second part of the doubleheader was number 10, UCLA, uh, and number five, Oregon. UCLA wins a close one, 82-79. What is there not to love here? You had about five of the top 30 players in the country. Um, are you thinking of the same five that I'm thinking of? I don't know if we are, but it looked like there was five of the top 30 players in the country on that floor last night. Uh, two of the leaders for player of the year overall. Forget about Pac-12 player of the year, just player of the year overall in college basketball. Ball and Brooks balled out big time. Bill Walton, he mentioned Banff and Buffaloes re- getting released into the wild, and he did it all not in tie-dye. He did it with an Oh My shirt which was very cool. Did you see Brooks's dunk in the first half? Oh, my. And listen, and we, we put it on Twitter. I forget. Somebody put it on Twitter. I think it was the CBS guy about yeah. that, that. what he said. What is he talking about? <laughs> but we love it. He's like the crazy uncle at the party. That dunk was unbelievable. Uh, oh, I, I think our guy at Kyle Boone uh, from CBS oh, yeah, put it right. on yep, yep. because he was uh, – Walton went like on his you know typical diatribe on uh, Scott Van Pelt's uh, late night sports center – and it was it was priceless. It was it was absolutely unbelievable. But back to the dunk. That dunk was amazing. And you know what made it even more impressive is that he bookended that with like an awesome triple threat position and then pull back three, like two possessions later. The, he 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 was amazing. He had everything on display. It was really it was really crazy. Um, Ball dominated the late game situation on both sides. He had a Kobe like drive with a little back and forth for a layup. And then he had a Steph Curry step back ranging three. That was crazy. It was just a perfect nightcap for the UNC Duke game. And you know what I'm going to say right right now too? Pritchard is going to win a game for the Ducks in March. That kid is going to be good, but he's not going to be good next year. He's going to be good this month. Oh, I got to jump in here. I totally agree. Remember the last game, we t- the first time they played each other? And yeah. Brooks hit the three. Pritchard was the guy who made shots down the stretch, and he mm-hmm. made a big three last night to keep them close and possibly Gus to cover the spread. Uh, it, you know, really late with about 10 seconds left. No, <laughs> Pritchard, and Pritchard, I guess, uh, Walton was talking about it, was like a Pete Maravich-like guy in high school. He can score. He is not a passive point guard. They will need him to score, too. They need him to take some shots because people slough off him. No, he is an impact. He can definitely win a game with a shot in March, no doubt about it. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I took away from this game. I mean, he was not scared of that moment at all. 
Um, Oregon looked too good in the first half to jump off their waterproof plumage. Uh, but UCLA attain, uh, obtained a bunch of buyers with their D in the second half. Oregon put up 48 in the first half, which is becoming like the norm for UCLA against highly skilled teams. But they only gave up 31 in the second half. And you know what? That works. If they give up 31 and a half, that definitely works. Coach Greenberg mentioned that Lonzo's passing was an epidemic, I think he called it. Maybe his defense on Brooks in the second half can become a second epidemic for UCLA. And if that happens, look out, people. P.S. The Ducks only had three turnovers for the game. That is a really nice trend moving forward in March. And can we please admire tonight's snow moon on the East Coast? There's also an eclipse going on this evening. Um, maybe you might catch the tail end of it if you're listening to it in the wee hours in the a.m. And yes, we want to continue viewing our favorite NCA comment, UCLA. But also, don't forget about Green Comet 45P. That is a real comet that's flying through the sky uh, this weekend. So get your telescopes out and aim them and admire. You get so much knowledge here at the Screen the Screener podcast. It's really interdisciplinary knowledge. Uh, the academic, the epidemic is a great one. Lonzo Ball's defense is like the winter flu. It comes, it hits you hard out of nowhere, and all of a sudden you're knocked down. He put the clamps on Dylan Brooks and changed that game. Now, people may have different takeaways from this. Here's mine. Teams will play defense in March. When you're in the NCAA tournament, half of defense is effort. Right now, UCLA normally is not giving a lot of effort on the defensive end, but they showed last night they can. They will score. No one will stop them from scoring. They scored in Kentucky. They scored against Oregon. They should have beat Oregon the first time. They will score, and they will start playing defense. Now, will it be enough? I don't know, but this team is talented. It was a big win. Ball's leading the team. They will learn from this. Also, I think it's a great game for Oregon. They went in. They were hot. I will say this. I'm going to be a little critical here of, of Dana Altman, Gus. you got to stop with the three-man weave at the top of the key. You, you, you need to run a play. They pretty much ran that weave. And I understand they got a lot of transitional baskets early in the game. Mm-hmm. UCLA was playing Ole defense. I get that. But, Gus, you got to recognize the game changed. You, you, you can't. They're just they're doing, and Walton was right, they're doing that silly three-man dribble handoff thing, Gus. They're killing 25 seconds off the 35-second clock. And all of a sudden, the shots aren't going to be open up, right? Because basically now UCLA's playing defense. They ne- he never adjusted. Enough of the three-man weave. I kill Bill Self for it. Okay? Enough. They need to run plays. And, and last thing for me. The most valuable player on Oregon is Jordan Bell. Yes. I was hoping you would say Jordan yes. Bell brings something to that team that they don't have and many teams don't have. He is aggressive. He is an athlete. He rebounds. He's not selfish. They don't win without Jordan Bell. They do not win games without Jordan Bell. I love Dylan Brooks. Picked him first team All-American. Pritchard's been good. Dorsey hits big shots. Boucher, love it. Jordan Bell's the most valuable player on that team. End of story. You know what? Sometimes in these crucial games, you need somebody to push somebody else around. You need an enforcer. Bell is exactly that. You know what else I took from Bell last night? He's going to play at the next level. Oh, for sure. He's definitely going to play at the next level. Not that I was like in doubt of that before, but I think he, he showed some skills, some intensity 
that NBA scouts also saw. I think scouts that there that were there to see Ball, Bell, uh, maybe Offord, maybe Leaf, uh, who, whoever else they might have had their eyes on. I think they walked away with a little bit more information on Bell that they were impressed with, for worst, sure. Worst comes to worst, Gus, he can be a bouncer for Charles Oakley next time he's at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> uh, that, I mean, I, I think that's I think that's a that's an NBA type podcast. Um, both you and I love Oakley. Uh, we admired him as a player immensely, maybe more than any other NBA player that was active during that time because we knew he was limited skill wise, but there was no doubting his effort on the court and he made up for any uh, talent gaps with that effort. Yeah. I, I'm an Oak fan. I'm not going to go away from being an Oak fan. Uh, Oak tree all the way. Let's go. More, more Oak. We love him. We love him. And another thing we love and, and our hearts in the right place are the Dayton flyers, Gus, Oh, who tonight and I think you and I were both leaning there, pulled out a big road win at Rhode Island tonight. But the most impressive thing, Gus, was not the win, was not the way they won on the road. It was the return of Josh Cunningham, who yeah. played tonight, couple fouls, didn't play great. Folks, listen up. Turn the car dial up right now. The Dayton Flyers are going to be a major, major issue in March. When you fill out your brackets, wherever they are, and you're with all your buddies and your friends that pick by colors and mascots, the Dayton Flyers, with Cunningham returning, Pollard, Scucci, Chemistry, Archie's been there, Elite Eight, they're an issue. This is a big one, Gus. So Cunningham has been out. And so they've been trying to fill that hole while he's been out the whole entire time. And... One of the guys that they've been trying to plug into that hole came up enormous and basically won this game with a three-pointer with under a minute to play. Xarius Williams, he was shooting the ball like nobody's business. And if they can keep him in the rotation and he's going to shoot the ball that way, with Cunningham back in, obviously it's going to take him a few games to get back and get in game shape get his flow back, get some uh, gameplay action in because you're not going to replicate that in practice. Of course, we were on the Flyers beforehand. I think we're even more on them now. That was an unbelievable win because we talked about how well URI was playing. We talked about how great EC Matthews looked and how much healthier he looked this time around as opposed to earlier in the season. For them to grab this win on the road and contain control of the A-10 really impressive yeah i, I just rhode island I, i'm settled on them now just like i had closure on on virginia the other day okay, right, <laughs> I, right, I have closure right. on them. really like them danny hurley's done a great job love the talent they look good they make poor decisions they make poor decisions huh. They take rush shots when they shouldn't take rush shots they're exactly the type of team that dayton feeds off of you need that type of team because they play they shot well tonight they were shooting the lights out but i i, I just think that listen they could be a good matchup when a game maybe two but Dayton is a team I think could go far. Dayton is a team I think could pull a major, major upset. Pollard, Scucci, Davis, Cook, Kyle Davis, who fouled out tonight. He was playing well. He's three or four from three-point range. And now Cunningham's back. And like you said, Williams is, 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 is really grown. They're deep. They're well-coached. They play great together. Love Dayton Flyers. Speaking, I mean, since we mentioned Oakley, did you see the couple of picks that Pollard set. Oh, dear Lord. The last three minutes the, of this game. The one, Gus, the one coming down the court at half court. 
It was amazing. And he didn't move. And you know what? It was smart because the, the refs in that situation, uh, basically, yeah. basically Scoochie's getting zigzag all the way up and he's trying to beat the clock up because they were down four. So Pollard is sitting there and he's he's a big guy. He's got a big booty. He's a big guy. He sets big time screens, man. He's at half court. They Those refs, they look for you to extend your forearms. You extend those forearms, that is a foul. Pollard became a statue and did not move. And that defender bounced off him like a tennis ball. You know what that is? That's great coaching out of Archie Miller. And exactly. Exactly. Unbelievable coaching. Not that we didn't love him as a coach before, but like when I saw that, I was like, number one, he's tough as nails, Pollard that is. And then the second part is, oh my goodness, he was so well coached in that moment. And you or I, questionable decision, pressing Scoochie Smith. Yeah, he's yeah. like the one point guard. He's like one of like a handful of point guards in the NCA this year that you do not want to press. I'm going to tell you what happened when the Miller boys were growing up, Gus. Here you go. So the parents <laughs> okay. tell them, you go outside yeah. in the backyard and play, okay? What would you and I do? Go play stickball or something? The Miller boys would go outside and grab rocks, and they would use the rocks to try to speculate on how a box in one versus a triangle in two <laughs> versus a flex offense works. That's what they did. Archie Miller, Sean Miller, rocks in the backyard. That's what they did, and they are phenomenal coaches. Oh, love both of them. Uh, great win for Archie Miller and Dayton, the Dayton Flyers, uh, this Friday night. Really impressed. Uh, don't sleep on your eye and Rody though. They will be a force to be reckoned with. They will get a bid. Um, I bet they make some noise in that A-10 tournament uh, at the Barclays later on this year. Hey, are you ready for your WWC double? Uh, are you ready for the uh, double shot from uh, the West Coast Conference? I love the double shot. Go for it. Thankfully, both WWC teams and studs held their serve this week to keep the drama high for the screen the screener game of the year. St. Mary slowed it way down, UVA style, with Portland. Portland playing without their leading scorer uh, to win at home 51-41. Jock Landell is making a case for the player of the year in the conference with another double-double. It looks like it might come down to him and Nigel William-Goss. And it might come down to this weekend's game to see who might win the player of the year to see whose team wins and who might have a better game. Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice... Cue the Super Friends uh, oh, music right now. I hope I can find that online. Sorry. <laughs> Great. Go, go ahead. Or at Alpha Undefeated Pie. Gonzaga just put up another 90 on Loyola Marymount. They're now 25-0, 13-0 in conference. Oh, and hey, if you don't mind me adding this in, speaking of undefeated, don't look now, but the Vermont Catamounts, they're back. They're 12-0 and in the American East, and the Catamounts are rolling and dangerous. Our 6'6 frosh, Anthony Lamb, went for 26 points and 13 boards, tying a career high. Since, we, you know, since we're talking about undefeated, why not throw the Catamounts in there? Great job out of them. One reason to love the Zags is you never know who their best player is on the floor or what weakness they'll attack. Hey, you know who we're going to welcome to the party? We're going to welcome Killian Tilly to the party. Another frosh big for the Zags. He had 11 points in the first half. Uh, add him to the list of Bulldogs that can go for double figures at any time against anyone on any court anywhere. Nigel Williams-Goss had a tidy 19 points with 11 boards in just 27 minutes. And 
this Saturday. Game day will be on hand. Coach Greenberg will be talking Gonzaga and the Zags and Coach Fuey. Jay Williams will have on either a Zags or a Gales jersey. Ultra cool. So, Mike, the line is 4.5. I know we'll get into this, this game a little bit later. Do we want to give the listeners a mini preview of what you're feeling, or are we going to wait? St. Mary's is going to beat Gonzaga on yes. Saturday. I am guaranteeing it. The Zags are going down at St. Mary's. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk more on that later. <laughs> but now for the Big Ten race update. Number 16, Purdue, gets out to a, a huge road win against rival Indiana. We mentioned this in uh, our rivals preview with UNC and Duke. Uh one of your guys, Vince Edwards, went a little bananas here. He had a career-high 26 points. Uh, Biggie, of course, went for another double-double. He had 16 and 14. Remember when we called for Swanigan to lead the nation in rebounds in one of our initial podcasts all the way back in October? Well, guess what? The Boilermaker is second in the nation behind Seton Hall's Angel Delgado. Uh, so we weren't that far off on that prognostication. The game ended in like a weird note here with a double foul on both big men. Uh, Mike, your guy Thomas Bryant and uh, Biggie Swanigan, both players fouling out of the game simultaneously on a double foul call, which is a little bogus if you ask me. Um, totally bogus. Totally, totally bogus. It seems like a bailout to me. Not even James Blackman Jr.'s return could help Indy here for the defending Big Ten champions. Remember that. Purdue sits almost atop the Big Ten standings, just behind Wisconsin, while Indy is going to struggle to find its way into the March field if this current trend continues. Mike, any thoughts on Purdue trending up or Indiana trending down? Yeah, have big will travel, Gus. Purdue is the real deal. They are oh. rapidly becoming one of my favorite teams when these brackets come out that I'm going to put all the way through. Caleb Swanigan is so impressive. He's a top five pick. He may be a top three pick. He could be the first overall darn pick. He is that good. What is most impressive besides the three-point shooting, besides the rebounding, besides the free throw shooting, he doesn't foul. The guy just doesn't foul. And in today's college basketball, Gus, they're going to call those fouls, right? As soon as Scoochie got his first, I'm sitting there panicked tonight like, oh, they got to take him out. Because if you get one, you're going to get two. And if you get two, you're going to get three. I I can't take it. Purdue is really good. Painter's been fantastic. Swanigan's the real deal. Those guards feed off them. Like you feed off a press when you have like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar back, you know, protecting the rim. Those little mites can run around outside. They can jump out on screens. They can jump in the passing lanes because they know he's back there. Purdue mm. is the real deal. James Blackman Jr. was back, but he was definitely injured. The double mm. foul was bogus. A great, great win for Purdue. I, I, I can't say it enough. Hey, you know what? Overtime is Wisconsin's friend. They win on the road at Nebraska, 70-69. to 69. Our guy, Bronson Koenig, hit a banking jumper to help get it to OT in regulation. And then once in OT, our other guy, Nigel Hayes, oh, what a shot. hit a deep three. Now, it wasn't like a, a Marcus Keene, daddy, that's a deep three type three, but it was still an unbelievable shot to give the Badgers a one-point lead. But you know what the story was in the closing seconds here? It was your guy, Ethan Happ. Came through. 
came through and was on the bench at the end of regulation. Yep. He had a huge block on Nebraska's last gaffes by Ty Webster, unbelievably talented guard, really like him. And then he had a steal in the open floor with under three seconds to play to close the deal. Hap is growing into a player who can win games without scoring the ball. The specialist of all players. The Badgers are now quietly 21-3 and and 10-1 all the way on the top of the Big Ten standings. Mike Randall, any takeaway for the Badgers or maybe something to say about our Cornhuskers? Yeah, you know, that's why Nebraska is Nebraska and Wisconsin is who they are. So guard designs the play. It's basically a screen and roll for Koenig and Hayes. Because you know what, Gus? Basketball isn't that hard when you break it down to its its fundamentals. No. The, Hayes is going to set a great screen because he's Nigel Hayes. And if he sets a great screen, Koenig's going to pop it. If he sets the great screen, Hayes' guy will probably leave. And you know Koenig's guy is going to fight over the screen. And who's going to be left open, standing wide open for three? Nigel Hayes. But that's the difference. The difference is Nebraska is not going to cover that screen well. And Wisconsin's going to execute. Great win for Wisconsin. They, they, I, I've been cold on them lately. I'm still not sure. But those guys execute down the stretch. Hap was on the bench, but he brings so much of a high motor. And by the way, folks, don't tell me high motor is not a big deal. It is a big deal because so many people don't play hard. Hap is a talented guy who does play hard. I was on Reddit uh, making some notes on this game on Reddit, and one of the Wisconsin fans wrote back to me. I wrote that I thought Hap was the best third scorer in the country at the beginning of the year. He may Mm. now be one of the better second scorers. Wisconsin fan wrote back to me, he's been our best scorer the last 10 games. He's been our top scorer. Um, I'm real excited, too. I'll drop this in right now. Shameless plug, Gus. So uh, SB Nation, Sports Blog Nation, uh, Mm -hmm. just contacted me. I'm going to be writing for Big Ten Powerhouse. They're on Twitter, at BT Powerhouse now. I'm going to be doing two articles a week. I'm going to be doing one on a Thursday recap. So I'll be doing a Thursday recap of a Big Ten game. And then I'll be doing a what we learned post from some random Big Ten game over the weekend. So, folks, Mike Randall's going to be all in on, on Big Ten basketball. Let me, let me tell you. We'll be writing more articles about Biggie Swanigan than you can shake a stick at. But, yeah, really excited about that. Going to be writing more Big Ten. Wisconsin's really good. They're kind of getting lost in the shuffle, right, with the Big 12, the Big East, Villanova. SEC's been hot with Florida. Don't forget about Wisconsin. Don't forget about Purdue. And by the way, if Northwestern ever gets Lindsey back from Mono, don't forget about them either. Maryland as well. Big Ten basketball is great. It's fun to watch. I'm excited that you're going to spread your thoughts on the Big Ten. By the way, you got the Big Ten rundown next uh, podcast, by the way, young man. Thursday, the Thursday recap, and what did we learn? What What did we learn? <laughs> Too bad they couldn't get they couldn't give me Gonzaga St. Mary's. It'd be a ten page. Oh article. man, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that was tremendous. All right, so we're gonna try something new here. Uh, Mike mentioned this earlier in the podcast. So excited. Uh, we're gonna try to give you what we think should be the top sixteen seeds because the NCAA is going to release this later on uh, this weekend uh, on Saturday. I'll go first. I'll go number ones, number twos, number threes, number fours. Mike, you can totally retort. Mike will give us uh, his, and then we'll hear uh, and argue or uh, agree. And we don't know each other's seeds going in. We don't in. know. We don't know. This is exciting. This is like Stump Gus. It's very exciting. 
Yeah, a little bit. So, so we, we, we are not, we do not have prior knowledge of each other's seeds. And we, we, desi- we did that by design. We share a couple of other ideas, but this is one of the things that we did not share coming into this podcast. Here are Gus's number one seeds thus far. Gonzaga, Villanova, Kansas, and Mike Randall. I think you might need to write about this. Wisconsin. Ooh. <laughs> Number two seeds are as followed. Mike Randall's Baylor Bears. Arizona. Oregon. And Mike Randall, another one of your favorites. Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, Valentine's Day coming next week, Mick. Number three seeds. Let's go Louisville. Our favorite Comet, UCLA. Start the Chop, Florida State, Seminoles. My guys, UNC. Number four seeds. Duke. South Carolina. UVA. And Florida. Wow. Wow. This so that's right. You did not hear the name Kentucky. You did not hear the name West Virginia. We did not mention my favorite power forward this year, Biggie Swanigan and Purdue. And sorry, Mike, St. Mary's did not make the cut. Do you have anything to retort on this? Do you have anything to argue or are we just going to get into yours? Uh, Let's get into mine and then we'll do like a little debate back and forth. How's that? I like it. You got a pencil, you write them down and we'll we'll go back. Yeah, I will. I have a pen and a notebook. Uh, uh, we know, Gus, that out of the pairing, you have much more of a life than I do. Um, so uh, not only did I do the top 16 seeds, Gus, I put them in the brackets. <laughs> okay. So I got them actually at each region, which I think is going to make it even funnier. Are you serious? Yeah, I did the S-curve. I did the location thing. What I'm doing, folks, is I am really submitting this as a prediction of what they're going to say tomorrow. So I have it written out. I don't know if they're going to give the, the S curve. If they don't, then this is a colossal waste of time. But you know, no one would be surprised at that. No, no, it's uh, it's not a colossal waste of time. It's entertaining for the listeners, Mike. Please. All right, sorry, sorry. Here we go. Here we so, go. So uh, very quick, I'll give I'll give you the rundown. So I have in the East. So that's at Madison Square Garden this year. Yes, sir. I got Villanova as the one seed. Now they're not my overall number one seed. That's going to be Gonzaga, but Gonzaga will be in the West. Okay, so I'll start in the East. East, I got Villanova number one. They are playing number four Duke. Villanova versus number four Duke. Okay, that's what I have so far. So you have Duke as a four, and you have Villanova's one. So right now we're locked in. Okay. Uh, In that bracket also, in the bottom, I have number two Arizona, which you have as well, versus Mm -hmm. number three Virginia. I moved Virginia up one line higher than you. I think they've had a couple nice wins. They've been tough. The Syracuse loss notwithstanding. And I kind of think they stand out from the rest. So I put that. That's a Villanova versus Duke. Arizona versus Virginia. Quite an East bracket there, Gus. Um, this is very shocking that you put UVA that high. I, I know I did. I, I know. But I was looking at the other teams. We could get into this in a little bit. And I just feel like Virginia's had some nice wins. Like, and some of the other teams haven't. Um, and they really haven't had terrible losses. Louisville at home, maybe. But, I, you know. It's not a terrible loss. Not- Louisville is currently ranked fourth in the country. Right. I'm sorry. They're not a terrible loss. So West Virginia at home, maybe. I don't know. But, all right. Moving on. Across the other side, Gus, to the west, San Jose. I got Gonzaga as the one, obviously. They're my number one overall seed. My number two, I have a little higher than you. I have Louisville. So I have Gonzaga as mm. the one. Louisville is the two. Number three, we're locked in. I have UNC. And okay. I have Wisconsin as a four. Wow. That's going to be our biggest difference. I just – it's not, it's not that they don't deserve it. 
and and you know what? In retrospect, them being number one in the Big Ten, that's probably a mistake. I I just think they will put them lower. So that is probably our biggest difference. I have Gonzaga playing Wisconsin in the top part of the bracket. Maybe I just really want that game because it'd be tremendous. It'd be a great game. And the bottom, I have Louisville, UNC. The overrun will be 264. Fine. Going down uh, to the Midwest. So we're going across now the West, and then the West would play the Midwest. Same side. In Memphis, I have number one, Kansas. Okay, same as you. Very good. Uh, either playing number four, Kentucky. So I Ooh. did put Kentucky in there. I you know what, Gus? I'm sitting there and I'm arguing if you went win by law, you know, win loss record, you're right. They wouldn't be in the top four. You're totally right. I'm doing what I think the con- committee will do. I think they will put them in as a four. And also, I want to see Kansas, Kentucky in, <laughs> in the Sweet 16. That's sure, the first game. Bottom bracket, I have UCLA as a two. Okay. All right. After that win last night, that's what moved them up. Otherwise, it would have been a three like you had them. And I have, sure. Flo- and I have Florida State three like you did. So, really, not a lot of difference there. Kansas playing Kentucky, UCLA playing Florida State. I mean, that's a loaded bracket. Uh, and my last one in the South, so this is back on the other side now, in Kansas City, I did put Baylor as a one. You did? I did. I I, I feel that they had a lot of big wins against top 10 teams. They have a really good record. It's a bad loss, but Wisconsin has a couple of shaky losses also. So I did sneak Baylor in as my weakest one seed in Kansas City. They are playing... Good. We've talked about them as having the best resume in the country, so there's no, there, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, I would feel great about it if they didn't lose to Kansas State, but I, you know, sure. nice, nice bounce back win, Oklahoma State. I think right now they will still give them a one. That's that's my guess. Okay. Um, I put Purdue as four. I, I just I couldn't keep Purdue out. Maybe I deflated Wisconsin and increased Purdue a little bit. I put Purdue as a four. I think that they're definitely a top four seed worthy. I think they have talent. I think they've played well. They've won on the road. I'm going to put Purdue as the four. The bottom, I have Oregon as a two, just like you, and I have Cincinnati as a mm-hmm. three. So I flipped it around there, which you may have Cincinnati as your weakest two. So in the, end, in the end, we'll summarize here. Gus is one seeds. Gonzaga, Villanova, Kansas, Wisconsin. My number one seeds, Gonzaga, Villanova, Kansas, Baylor. Two seeds. Gus went Baylor, Arizona, Oregon, Cincinnati. I went... Arizona, Oregon, Louisville, UCLA. Gus's three seeds, Louisville, UCLA, Florida State, UNC. Mine, Florida State, UNC, Cincinnati, and Virginia. And Gus's four seeds, Duke, South Carolina, like that one, Florida, and UVA. My four seeds, Wisconsin, Duke, Purdue, Kentucky. Uh, Teams, Gus, really quick that I left out that I really struggled to leave out. Mm-hmm. I struggled to leave out Florida. Definitely did. It was probably the toughest one. Butler also, I know they've been up and yeah. down, but they have a lot of great wins. And when you're talking about Butler versus Kentucky, if you look at their games, it's very shaky. And I left West Virginia out. Uh, but, you know, that's personal. But, I, I, no, I just don't think – I don't think that – I think the bad losses have outweighed the good wins. So uh, I switched Arizona and Louisville in my seating and my S-curve because Gonzaga already played Arizona. Uh, but that's what we got. Gus, what are your thoughts? What do you think? I had just to speak to what you were speaking to earlier. I had trouble leaving Purdue out as well. I like that you put them in as a four seed. I kind of had them in a similar grouping with South Carolina and Florida, but for whatever reason, I decided to kick them out the bottom. So they'd probably be my 17th seed. And I have to tell you, I'm admiring your Cincinnati, Florida State, UVA three line. 
None of those teams are teams that I thought that you would put that high. I'm impressed. And can we just spread some West Coast love with your two seeds? You have Arizona as a two yeah, seed, I noticed. Oregon as a yep. two seed, and UCLA as a two seed. You know, I would say, Gus, we have our defaults, right? I would say that my sort of what jumps out at me is the big wins, you know, and that's why I'm I'm going to excuse some bad losses if you have big wins. Sure. That was my thought. South Carolina really didn't have that for me, but then I want to know what the committee's going to do because with Thornwell in, this right. team has been incredible, and they always say that they will take into account injuries. So if a, if a team was 25-0 and 0 and their best player is now out for the year, they're going to see them the way they are now, not the way they were. So I'm dying about that South Carolina one. I think that could be a really good one. But, yeah, I, I, the West Coast is back. I mean, the West Coast is here. All those teams are dangerous. Um, take your pick. So I think the coolest thing is that we have a giant discrepancy between the two of us. I have Wisconsin as a one seed. You have Wisconsin as a four seed. I'm assuming they'll fall somewhere in the middle, uh, but it'll be interesting to see where the, the committee decides to place them because they are atop the Big Ten. Big Ten is a Power Five conference. Usually they award that one of those Power Five conference winners. Uh, obviously the, top, the conference tournament hasn't played yet, uh, but I think you have to go ahead and put Wisconsin a little bit higher than four. Yeah, as you're right the big 10 yeah you're right that that's, that's, that's my a, only gripe i think with yours you know that's a bad one i looked at their schedule and you're right they're leading the big 10 uh, as now a writer for big 10 powerhouse i probably should have put wisconsin come on mike randall um yeah that one so wh- what would i do uh that's a toughie i mean could i switch them in cincinnati you could i i, I could and cincinnati's a four they're playing in that's possible but yeah. I want to say, I want, I'm not sure. I wasn't sure if they're doing the S-curve or not. If they're not, then this is whatever, and we'll see how close we get. We'll see our hits and our misses. We can talk about that on uh, on Tuesday's podcast. It'll be exciting. Uh, for sure. I think this might be something that we pay closer attention to uh, next week after they release the information and how they're going to do it and then the method and then what further uh, elements of the information they're going to tell us. So that, that way we can base our predictions off of what they're going to tell us this weekend. So I'm, I'm kind of intrigued on, on that matter for sure. And I kind of want to see how close we are. So I'm going to, I have yours written down in the notebook. I'm going to do some check marks and some smiley faces next to yours. And uh, hopefully mine also have some check marks and smiley faces. I hope Purdue gets in there. I do. They've done so well recently. And I, and I like to see Florida get in there. I want to be wrong about Florida. I don't think they'll give Florida enough respect. It was a nice win over Kentucky. But the question is where they rank Kentucky right now, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of their wins and losses. So – uh, I want to see Florida get in there. I want to be wrong about them. And I just I, I felt like we needed to give the SEC some representation, whether it be like Kentucky as like the standard bearer or group together South Carolina and Florida. So I went to the with the grouping as opposed to the standard bearer. Yeah, good. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. And I'll tell you something. No one wants to see Duke as their four. That's for darn sure. Oh, like we talked about with Tatum. Tatum could be one of those like transcendent different make difference maker players in the tournament in a six game span when they go ahead and let the reins off of him. I'd be really scared of them as a lower seed. And, you know, if he continues to play like this, 
they're not going to stay in that range. They will rapidly move up for sure. I will like to announce to the committee that I'm available. Uh, Gus and I are both available to come in and consult. I mean, if they had a chance to make Duke-Villanova a Sweet 16 game in Madison Square Garden, Gus, and don't do it, if they have Duke as a four and they have Villanova as a one, that game is where that's where that has to game for, uh, the game would have to be played. That game is going to be packed. It would be unbelievable. Two teams that are similar, both aren't huge inside. That would be tremendous. StubHub would have a field day with that game. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Speaking of Madison Square Garden, would you like to take a little walk down Broadway? Hit the music! On Broadway. I have to tell you, Gus, nothing I look forward to more during the week. This is on Friday, so this will be the last thing before I crack open a, a beverage. Uh, then Broadway with you doing like quick one shot liners here. I mean, this is this is my therapy. Go ahead. Very good. So I'll read them off, and let's go ahead and give the listeners a little feel on what we what we're thinking. Okay. Fire away. Texas A and M goes to number seventeen, Florida. This is a tricky game for Florida. Will the bigs of A and M give the Gators fits down there? Thought the Gators would have more trouble on the road than they did in conference. I was wrong about that. If this game is at Texas A&M, I agree. They're not losing at home. Very good. Kansas State goes into one of your least favorite places, Morgantown, and they play number 13, West Virginia. Will the press be what it usually is at home, or will this crafty Kansas State team find a way to pull another upset and improve their March profile? I'm protesting this game. I'm not picking it. <laughs> I can't figure out West Virginia. I'm not going to attempt to. I'm protesting. I have no pick. I choose so not to pick. Since, since Mike Randall is going to protest this game, I'm just going to say <laughs> let's take Kansas State and the points. Wow. And go, go for the cover. Does that sound okay? Wow. That's exciting. That makes me – is that going to be a fishy line? Uh, call, it could be. I'll call my bookie. some research on it. <laughs> Again, um, speaking of fishy lines, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, for these fishy lines, Mike and I actually do like – we probably spend like, I don't know, seven minutes of like math calculation on doing these fishy lines to make sure we send something out good to you guys. So it's not like something we just go on feel. We do put some like logical research behind this for you guys. So hopefully you don't just look at it and be like, oh, it's just the screen, the screener guys giving us like what they think is going to happen. No, we, we crunch some numbers. We, 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 we bust some metrics out and, and we try to give you guys a logical reason on a team – and who to pick. So pay attention to this, the fishy lines. Let's listen, listen, we got to pull the curtain back here. Folks, the, the fishy line input is the following. Gus is the brains behind the fishy lines. Does he, <coughs> does he text me? Sure. Do I give my opinion? Of course. But I have to tell you guys, I, I can't pick the fishy lines. It's Gus's thing. In fact, last night we're laughing. I like Temple getting seven and a half against SMU. He's like, no chance. It should be double that. I'm down on SMU. Sure enough, they cover. So I'm going to tell you right now, it's very nice that he says that. My impact for a fishy line is the equivalent of an eight hitters impact on a lineup in baseball. Okay. So it's very nice, Gus. But to be fair, Gus is the one making these picks. I'm just the peanut gallery. But it's very nice. We can keep it going. But he really is outstanding with these guys. He's lights out. When he puts one out and it says fishy line, you know, if gambling was legal, which it's not, you should make a bet. You know, it's just something to pay attention to. It's something to pay attention for the listeners. Another added uh, uh, value pick that you can put your eyes on. Like, you know, let's just take last night. Like, you had two giant games last night that you wanted to pay attention to. Perhaps you just wanted to flip to the SMU game and you wanted to have some sort of value in that game. 
the fishy line gives you that value in that game for for a meaningful flip of the remote control. Saying that I'm involved in these fishy lines is like saying Jerry Seasting was part of the 84 Celtics team. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's a tremendous reference. I love it. <laughs> Number three, Kansas visits a tough Texas Tech team down in Lubbock. Tech has already beat West Virginia here. Is Kansas up next? Coach Beard is doing big things his first season. You know what I smell here? I smell another overtime game. That's what I smell in this. Now, you know what? I think not without foul trouble. Josh Jackson, your guy, has been dominant. The Matrix reloaded. Frank Mason, they got Bragg back. They have depth on the bench. Landon Lucas is becoming Moses Malone. Yeah, tough game. Kansas pulls it out. TCU heads to Waco and takes on your guys, number six, Baylor. Will the Horn Frogs grab that win that firms up the long-awaited March invite that TCU always seems – that always seems to elude TCU. Gus says no shot here. Take Baylor. You know, and that's what I get for going against Baylor and Oak State. Uh, somebody, one of our, our followers on Twitter is making fun of me. It's very funny. I hear Mike Randall just pick against Baylor. No, I think Baylor rolls here. I feel like they need a, an easy win at home, and I think it happens here. No offense, Jamie Dixon's been fantastic, but I yeah. do think Baylor has a real nice job here. They started getting the ball to Motley a little more in the last game, and that's what they keep doing. Tricky game here. Number two, Villanova heads to a dangerous, underrated number 24, Xavier. The two leaders of the Big East Player of the Year go head-to-head here, Hart and Blewett. Blewett has gone a little bananas to make up for the the loss of Subner's uh, absence and injury. He's averaging over 24 points a game over the past six games. I don't know why you wouldn't expect another big game here. I bet he and Hart go chest-to-chest a little bit here. I'm feeling a final possession game. What are you feeling? Yeah, Coach Mack put out the, the Twitter picture of the, the, the um, tents being outside. Gus, I just don't see it. I, I, I know Xavier's played so well without Sumner. This mm. is Villanova coming in here. I don't see this at all. I, I, yeah, will Xavier be tough? Definitely. Tough place to play. I just think Villanova finds a way. I think they're too good. They're number two in the country. Of course they're too good. I just think that Xavier's going to play them tough. I don't think they're going to let this one slide. I, I, I think they feel like they caught a genie in a bottle with Goodwin at the at the point with Sumner out. I I am feeling that they're going to play this game tight. They always play a tough game against uh, Villanova at home. I don't think this is going to be any different. Miami is going to head to number four, Louisville. The word on the street is that Quentin Snyder is back. If he's back, I'm going to say take the Cardinals. Plus, Mitchell is playing like an all-ACC player. He is averaging 23 points a game over his last four games. Anything Anything going to go off script here? No, Louisville's going to roll. I love it. Snyder's back. They're going to play well. Miami's very heckle- Jekyll and Hyde. Love the cards here. Number 14, Florida State heads to South Bend to face a now-unranked Irish team. Hmm. Irish needs a win. I'm going to say the Florida State bigs cause a huge issue for the Irish, and they pull out a tight one late, maybe at the foul line. Yeah, I, I, I want to say Notre Dame here. I do. They just really have problems with that fifth starter. Unless they get big points from Fluger and Gibbs, I think Florida State takes it. I do. I, I'm rooting for Notre Dame. I kind of like them. But I'm going to take Florida State. They're too big inside. Jonathan Geisick, you've talked a lot about him. I'm going to take FSU. Fair enough. How about number nine, Arizona, riding a uh, rise, uh, hosts a rising California team? You know what I'm going to say? Just stop it now. If you think Coach Cal's practice was hard, 
I bet Coach Miller's practice was even tougher after that Oregon loss. I think things will find a flow at home. Wildcats are still very good. Very, very good. This could be a fishy line come Saturday, so please check at SDS Podcast on Twitter. You can follow Mike at Fantasy Warrior Mike. You can follow me at Kearns 12 And please, don't forget, if you have a question or a comment, email the show, sds at gmail.com. Drop us a line, guys. We'd love to hear from you. Listen, we nailed the SMU Temple game earlier this week. The podcast is now 12-3 and three on the season with its fishy lines. So pay attention to this. Check Twitter if we put it out uh, later on this weekend. Do you, have a ga- uh, do you have a feel on this game at all, Mike Randall? You know, gosh, I feel like you're leading me to Arizona with that intro, which now makes me very cautious to give my analysis here. Arizona doesn't blow anybody out at home. They haven't blown anyone out all year long. I've watched them. I've seen lines against Washington at home, and I thought they were going to roll, and they don't. And California is super hot, and no one's talking about them. Do I think Arizona will win? Absolutely. The spread is eight. I would very strongly advise taking the eight in California, although now I'm nervous because of what you just said. Well, the research is not in yet. I'm, I'm just going on feel here. So that's why I said wait on it and look on Twitter. This is not a fishy line. This is Mike Randall's schizophrenic picks. Arizona, take the, take a look. They haven't blown anybody out at home, and I've been waiting for them to do so. You know, Romar was fired up at halftime of the game. California's super hot. They're playing great. Rab inside. Do I think Arizona wins? Of course I do. But eight's a lot of points. But who knows? Check Twitter. I'll look for it. Go ahead. Number five, Oregon heads to L.A. to face USC. This is a dangerous game for the Ducks. I know they're just coming off a loss down the street or down the road. I would say keep an eye on this game. UC, uh, USC has athletes that can run with the Ducks. What do you think, Mike Randall? You know, this one has given me the most trouble of all the ones this weekend. I'm going to take Oregon. I mean, I know it's crazy. USC is ready to go. Boatwright's back. I'm going to go with Oregon. I, they looked so good for so long against UCLA. Jordan McLaughlin's not hitting 30-foot threes like Ball did. They don't have a shooter like Alford. I mean, they, I, I, I'm going to go Oregon, but I, I struggle with this one. I'm looking forward to watching this game. I think this game's going to be highly entertaining. <sighs> We're finally there, listeners. We're finally there, Mike Randall. Bells, bells. No, no. <laughs> You're there. Number one, Gonzaga. Goes to Morgana, California. To finish off number 20, St. Mary's, our screen the screener game of the year. WCC player of the year is on the line, too. It looks like a two-man race with Jock Landell and Nigel Williams-Goss. I think the Gonzaga skilled bigs passed adroitly from the high post to low post and out to the wing with patience and pick part a tough St. Mary's defense. Early leading to open threes later for Williams, Goss, Perkins, Matthews, and Collins. Yeah, I said Collins. I bet Collins hits a three or two in the second half. Bet head chef, Big Shim, leads the team in assists here. Pump the music at Alpha Undefeated Pie. I got next on the pool table with Jordan Matthews. We were going to go corner pocket for the win. 5-15. Get your pork. Uh, get your popcorn ready. I know Coach Randy Bennett will be ready. Mike, will you be ready? 
I'll be ready. Here's my thought, Gus, on how this game is going to go. St. Mary's was right there, step for step with Gonzaga, over the break when Jock Landell got in foul trouble. Jock Landell is not getting in foul trouble in this game. Randy Bennett won't allow it. They're home. I have not seen Gonzaga face any adversity this season back against the wall. The end of the BYU game, what, they get down to six? That's not adversity. I think they're just due to struggle. The last time they played up in Gonzaga, they shot 64% from the field against a very good defensive St. Mary's team. Gus, that will not happen again. They were 7 of 13 from three-point range. I don't think they will shoot that well on the road. They played a fantastic game, and they won 79-56. This is St. Mary's Super Bowl. This is their season. They beat Gonzaga twice last year. What I see happening is St. Mary's getting out early. I see Landell getting Karnowski in foul trouble. Shemek, I'm sorry. Please continue to like (laughs) Gus's tweets. And I think that St. Mary's will pull this game out by about five or six points. I really do. I am not saying this just for for the podcast listeners to get excited. Gonzaga's tremendous. Are they going to go undefeated the entire year? I just don't think so. Not when St. Mary's has returned five starters. And listen, Landell's been great. Nigel Williams got his player of the year in the conference, period. End of story. I really do. I think that St. Mary's is going to win the game. If if they don't, what do I think will happen? I think Nigel Williams-Goss takes over. That's what I think it is. I, I believe in it. Gonzaga is the real deal. But I think St. Mary's trips them up tomorrow. So you mentioned adversity. Gonzaga team was down to Florida early, came back, fought back late. Yeah, Florida game. That's right. That's the only one. That's right. Yep. They did run into a little bit of trouble, a patch of trouble against Arizona. It wasn't the smoothest win for them. I think they've played this hand before, and they know how to bet it. I don't think this is going to be an unfamiliar territory for them. I think the venue might be a little crazy. I am guessing that Morgana is going to be absolutely bananas. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be loud. You're not going to be able to hear Coach Few on the sideline. I think there's going to be some of those moments early. So that's where I think have bigs will travel, like you mentioned with Purdue. We got Karnowski. We got Tilly. We got Collins. You have Jonathan Williams. You said foul trouble. If there is foul trouble, we have the next man up ready to roll. So I'm feeling even if Gonzaga runs into those situations – They are going to have the manpower. They are going to have the skilled athletes to go ahead and and take care of that early storm and fight their way back and win a close game in the second half. So I'm on the other side, obviously, and I can't wait to watch this game on Saturday. Let's go ESPN game day. Give this game the proper treatment. Looking forward to seeing Coach Greenberg and the crew out there. It's going to be great, Mike, isn't it? Let me ask you, my friend. How many points would I have to give you for you to take St. Mary's? In all seriousness, if I for some reason said, Gus, I'm going to give you 100 bucks, mm. and I want you to wager on St. Mary's, how many points would I have to give you before you'd say, listen, I love Gonzaga, they're fantastic, but I'll take the St. Mary's bet with X? I'm curious. I think I, I know the answer, but I'm curious. 
Ten and a half. You have to. Say, I thought you were going to say nine, eight or nine. That's what I thought. It's only four and a half, so that gives you a little preview to what Gus thinks about that game. I'm going to take the four and a half. The depth is an issue, and that's why I think Gonzaga has staying power in the tournament, and not a lot of people may. Once you get to the NCAA tournament, Gonzaga has staying power. I just think everybody gets tripped up. Kansas gets tripped up. Kentucky gets tripped up. They're not getting tripped up against Portland. <laughs> They're not getting tripped up against Santa Clara. This is the spot. I think we'll see. It's going to be great. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way, so I think it should be a great game. No, no. I, and and for, for all the viewers and all the listeners out there, we've been hyping this game, I don't know, for what, like three weeks? Like I just hope <laughs> it gives us exactly what we want. I, I want a tight game in the second half and not have it be a, a repeat of uh, the first game that they had a matchup of where Gonzaga pulled away late and it became a little bit of a blowout later. Yeah, and Gus, I agree. I'm going to say this. I don't want foul trouble on Nigel Williams-Goss either. Am I hoping for a St. Mary's win? Sure. I don't want to win that way. I don't want Nodge Williams-Goss or Shemek getting – you know, Shemek may get in foul trouble, but I don't want to see him get two fouls in the first two minutes and change the game. I hope everybody gets some fouls. They play the game. I want the five starters in, and let's go with five minutes left. That's what I really, really want. I do not want an easy game here because Nigel Williams-Goss has two fouls in two minutes. That's ridiculous. I don't want that. It's not fair. Not fair Of course. Same thing with Jock Landale. And by the way, he deserves time on the court to prove himself because he did not have that opportunity in the last matchup. I want to see him matched up with these Gonzaga bigs, and I want him to show his skills and show, you know, show the people how good he is. He deserves that stage. Totally agree. I can't wait, my friend. 8.15 Eastern Standard Time, 5.15 Moraga Time. Let's go. We've come to that point. Listeners, thank you so much for giving us part of your weekend. We hope you, we, you feel a little bit more prepped for the big games this week and a little bit more uh, versed on the games that took place earlier in the week. We want to say thank you to the listeners. We are always humbled that you give us a little part of your week. Thank you for carving out that time for Screen the Screener. Uh, We also want to say a quick thank you to, of course, our boys Bell Jar. Thank you for taking us in and out. Even though we put in some Hell's Bells in your place, I'm sure you wouldn't mind. We know the Bell Jar are big ACDC fans. And also we want to say thank you to the technology department. Technology department, thank you so much for hooking us up. Technology, no foul trouble. (laughs) Hey, and Mike Randall, we haven't done this in a little while. We have to get back in the habit. Jacques Landell... Set the screen. If he sets the screen and he's screening for the screener, just like Kendall Pollard, don't move the arms. Stay stationary. Thanks, folks. We appreciate it. We're fired up. We'll be back to regular nights next week. St. Mary's, Gonzaga. Send us some tweets. We'll be on. Fired up.